Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We're in a series, a new series that we started last week titled Ever Present, the Holy Spirit here and now. And we are exploring uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, learning about the Holy Spirit, which can be like this enigmatic figure in the Godhead that uh, we don't quite know how to discern and, 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 and set apart. And uh, it's really important that we understand because the Holy Spirit has a role in our lives, in our faith. Uh, and it's a really important thing that uh, we need to understand and grasp. So last week we started our first message on Pentecost Sunday. For those of you who know the Christian calendar, uh, Pentecost Sunday is a significant date in the Christian calendar. And uh, it's recorded in the chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And it's when the Holy Spirit descended upon about 120 people, and they were together in one place, and the Holy Spirit filled them in such a way that it caused a commotion in all of Jerusalem, and about 3,000 people that day came to know Christ and made a decision to follow Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. And so 3,000 people joined the church the very first day. The following few days... Uh, there was a great miracle that uh, Peter uh, performed, or he prayed for this person who was lame. And after that, another uh, 5,000 people, 2,000 people joined the church. And so in the first week, the church was 5,000 plus and growing. And there was a reason for that, because since the beginning of this movement, the Christian movement, since the beginning of people living in Jesus' way, those who are outside of the movement do not they have they have a hard time uh, uh, reconciling what this actually is they have a difficulty figuring out what this is all about you are a mystery to those outside looking in why would you engage in such a way and there's a reason for that See, these days you hear of theories and accusations, either ignorant in nature or ill-intended on purpose that calls Christianity some kind of white religion that is used to impose, to, to, to presuppose, and to colonize the world. It's not true. In the past... The prevalent argument is that Christianity was responsible for many of the wars in the world. Also not true. And those and many other arguments, they're trying to explain what this thing is. But they're fallible arguments. They're easily disproved because one look at the life of Jesus, one look at the teachings of Jesus, one look with genuine curiosity and no uh, prejudice, and you will be able to understand that Jesus' life was not about any of that. His teachings was not about any of that. But people are trying to explain what they don't understand. And there's a reason why they don't understand it. And it's very clear. Jesus told us the reason why people don't understand it. 
Listen to the words of Jesus, our main scripture for today. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus is talking about somebody else. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. The world cannot receive because it, ne it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here, Jesus makes it clear. And no wonder people who are far from God are confused about the way of Christ. Because the, the reason is here. Jesus says they don't understand it. Why don't they understand it? Because they can't receive, they can't know, and they can't see the Holy Spirit. They can't. They're blinded to Him. In other words, Jesus is saying that the life of the Spirit has been reserved for those who have surrendered themselves to the way of Christ. And so if you haven't fully surrendered to Christ, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching, and you're kind of getting your toes wet in the edge of the sea of Christianity, and you're kind of experimenting, and it, this is a part of the life of God that you're missing out. This is a huge part of this journey that has not been manifested to you yet. And today I want to help you understand. I want, to, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so the title of my message is Active Presence because I want to help you understand how the Holy Spirit is the active presence of God in each of us. We kind of talked a little bit about this last week, but I really want to focus on this because before we get into some of the other uh, uh, elements that the Holy Spirit uh, brings to us in, uh, in our relationship with God in the coming weeks. Because this, I believe this is the threshold that many people are unwilling to cross. This is the threshold that makes some of us afraid. I mean, am I going to be a weirdo now? What, 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 what are we talking about here? See, because some people, they can go as far as learning about Jesus' history. They're happy with that. They can go as far as learning about the tenets of faith. They can agree with the tenets of faith. They can go as far as agreeing with the doctrines, agreeing with the values of Christianity. But to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive the life of the Spirit, the ever-present life of God, God manifests in our lives, in a person's heart. That person, that person has to go all in. You have to go all in. And the line where they might lose their standing and their status. The line where some of our friends might lose their status in the world. It needs to be crossed. That line when, where, where you might look like a fool. Especially to people who think highly of themselves. The line needs to be crossed. Because as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I think that that's why 
Many people get to that threshold, up to the edge, up to the crossing point, to this kind of, of life in the Spirit, and they hesitate. The questions and the wrestling start to happen, and it could, could, it's like simple things. Am I going to raise my hand and sing to God? Am I going to put myself out there? I mean, I'm fine just listening and kind of being in here. Am I going to bend my knees and pray in my house? What is my roommate going to think if they see me? What if my wife walks in and sees me? Have you ever wondered why we tend to have an unwillingness to submit our body to worship? There's this tension. Sometimes it's spurred by embarrassment or lack of understanding, but there's this tension of you understand it here and here, but to submit your body, to engage your body in the worship, sometimes there, there's, a, there's a, a barrier. And so many of us remain passive when it comes to the presence of God in our lives. Sure, we listen to worship. Sure, we listen to messages. Sure, we listen to podcasts. And that's all good. Some of us go as far as putting ourselves in environments where God manifests Himself. Environments very much like this one. And that's good. That adds to your life. That adds to your spirit. That benefits you. But the next level in our relationship with God begins when we go from passively waiting to actively seeking God's presence. Seeking with your mind, seeking with your body, seeking with your spirit. And Jesus' promise is that if we seek, if we place ourselves in the right posture, in the right position, we can receive that which the world cannot. We can receive that which the world cannot see or understand. So how do you experience God's ever-present uh, um, life manifested in us through the Holy Spirit? Very simple question for us to answer today. You got to go back to the words of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said in that, in that passage, he was talking to his disciples. He said, if you love me. If you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper who will be with you forever. Have you ever fallen in love? Some of you are like, whoa, too personal, J.D. Crossing the line in here. Now, when you fall in love, all you think about is that person. All you want is that person. You're willing to give up your life, to give up everything for that person. Here's the thing about loving someone else. It only works when both are in love with each other. Right? And the mistake many couples make happens after they fall in love. Because this is what happened. After love drives you to make a covenant, right? After love leads you to commit every part of, of, of yourself to each other or every After the couple goes all in and they commit. See, because that's when, that's when the mistake happens. Because in the beginning, in the beginning, love seems easy. 
right? Love seems easy because you, you even get to think. Many stories you hear is like, it was love at first sight. It was easy. There's another one that people say, it just happened. It just happened. Love. Oh. But really, it didn't just happen. Right? It didn't just happen. What happened is that you had no history. So love was free to grow. Love was free to take over. And you, were, you, were, you had no reservations to give yourself to that love because you had no history with that person. Just love. But then, after you got closer and closer and closer, and then you get married, and then you're there, love meets each other's brokenness. And love meets each other's shortcomings. And love meets the challenges of life. And love doesn't just happen anymore. Because love never just happens. Love needs to be cultivated. He just said in the beginning it was easy to cultivate. There was no history. But now you have to cultivate through the weeds and the storms and the winter. And what happens many times, this is the mistake. People think that love just happens. And so they fail to cultivate. Love needs to be cultivated. In the spring, everything grows. And in the spring of a relationship, everything grows as well. But when the spring is over, comes the weeds and come the, comes the droughts. Comes all sorts of things. There are dogs relieving themselves on all over your love. <laughs> Figuratively, I hope. And so the mistake many couples make is that they remain passive in their love. They are waiting for the next spring for love to happen again. Hoping to God that they'll make through winter. Hoping to God that the the blizzard will eventually thaw. The scriptures compare the, our relationship with God to a marriage. And this is what the apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, in this way, Ephesians chapter 5, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's Bible, people. He who loves his wife loves himself. All of this talk nowadays of husbands having me time and loving yourself. You want to love yourself? Love your wife. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. And he continues to talk about the mystery that it is Christ's relationship with the church, you and I, compared to marriage. Now, can a marriage survive if both parties only are trying to get what they want? You can answer that. It's easy. Can it? No. Can a marriage survive if one party is only trying to get what they want? 
No, right? I'll answer for you. No. No. <laughs> it's a long no. It won't survive. If, even if one person is in it for themselves, if all they look at is themselves, if all they care about is their needs, it won't survive. The other person might hang on to love for as long as they can, but eventually it won't survive. Because a marriage needs to thrive. For a marriage to thrive, both have to, have to uh, love each other enough to, to not only want the best for each other, but to want each other. You got to want each other. And I got to tell you, I want my wife. I want her. I want her mind, her advice, her, her wisdom, her company, her humor, her criticism sometimes. I want it. And the same is true of God. you got to want God. Desire His presence. See, we have to understand something. God leads you, but God does not supersede you. And there's a reason for that. It sounds counterintuitive because we think of God, Almighty God, all-powerful on, on, on the heavens, and we think, God, just come and do whatever. Just, God, why are we letting these things happen? Why, God, God, just change my heart. Just change my mind. Change my will. Like, just, just, why can't you just take over? And No, it, it's not like that. God loves you, but He does not supersede you. I don't mean that he doesn't supersede you because he's not more powerful than you are. I'm saying that God chooses not to overpower you, but to partner with you. Why? Because God is not proud. God is humble. Listen to how Jesus described this. Jesus said, come to me. It's an invitation. Come to me. It's, 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 it's a, it, it's, it, be, it behooves you to come to him. It's up to you to come to him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, we live in a society that values pride. We think that pride is self-assuring. We think that to be proud is to be confident. So if you're powerful, if you're successful, if you're strong, you should carry it with pride. But pride is ungodly. God is not proud. God does not approach us with pride. He approaches us with humility. Because God is humble. Another reason why God leads us but does not supersede us is because He protects our autonomy. Did you know that? They got only the values, but he protects your autonomy. So in your relationship with God, you can be the person who is in it to get what you want. You can come to church to get what you want. You can pray to get what you want. You can have in your mind like the thoughts, the spiritual thoughts to get what you want. You can also be the person who has good feelings and good desires toward God. Because you know what God has done for you. And you know that God wants the best for you but but we will only experience real community with God and his presence active presence in our lives when we desire God period 
when we say, I just, I just want you, God. See, it's one thing to praise God and worship God for what he has done for you. That's good. We all do that. We all should do that. That's part of, of gratitude. We all should do that. It's great because he has redeemed you. And he has saved you. And you were, some of you were supposed to be dead, but you were alive and winning in life. Some of you were supposed to be alone, but now you have a family. God has placed you in connections with one another. Some of you were supposed to be done, but God gave you a second chance, and now you're thriving. See, so he's worthy of our worship for those things. He's worthy of our praise for those things. However, you enter a new level in your relationship with God when your heart, looks at all that God has done and all that he has blessed you with. And you look at his power and his majesty and all that he is capable of. And you say, God, thank you for showing me who you are. I appreciate every blessing. I am grateful for everything that you have given me. But all I want is you. All I want is your presence. The thing I want the most you I want you I want you more than promotion I want you more than riches I want you more than pleasure I want you more than status I want you more than what you have to offer I want you see something shifts in your life when you desire the presence of God it's true you can clap for that I'm preaching good for you today That's why Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, it starts there. It begins there. If you love me, you will do what I command. It's not a like, hey, show me that you love me that by doing what, you, what I command. It's, it's, it's not that. It's, it's if you love me, you will do what I command. The, the, the doing is an, not only the, the, it's the result, it's the byproduct. If you love me, you will do what I command, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So that's how you receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why the first commandment is to love God above all things. It's from the beginning. That's always been the first commandment. Now, I know it's easy. It's easy to feel unworthy. It's easy to look at your life, look at what you've gone through, look at what you've done, and think, man, I, I, I don't have what it takes. I'm unworthy of God's love. I'm unworthy of His presence. See, But that's the wrong approach. Let me free you from that approach today, because Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus didn't come to teach doctrines or impose uh, dogmas. Jesus came to save and he came to save us from the very things that make us feel unworthy. The very thing that holds you back from worship, that holds you back from seeking God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, that's what he came to save you from. That's what he came to release and to break. There's a great story in the scriptures about King David who was, it's a notorious, he's a notorious figure in the scriptures. And there was this story that, if you know the story of David, you know uh, uh, songs have been written about this, right? David, uh, there was a moment in his, in, his, in his reign where he was established 
He had plenty of, of, of people fighting, and it was the job of a king to go fight battles, to join the army. But in the season of war, David decided to stay back because he had, he had such an army that he didn't even need to be with them. And he's on the roof of his palace, and he can see one of the women bathing just outside of her house. And he has a direct line, and she was beautiful. And so he desires her, and he finds a way to have her. And it becomes a big mess because she's married. Then uh, she gets pregnant. And then to try to cover his sin, he, he brings the husband from war, who was one of the, his, his soldiers, and tells the husband, stay with your wife. And the husband refused to go in the house because it's like, I'm going to be loyal to my country. I'm going to fight. And David is saying, bro, go inside and be with your wife. And he's like, no, I'm going to fight. I will be loyal to this army. I'm not going to, I'm going to defend my land. And so David does the opposite. He, he, he sets this man up to die. He puts him in front of battle. And he tells the commander and says, go into war and put Uriah right in front. And that man gets killed in war. And David steps in to rescue the widow and marries her and paints this picture to the whole uh, nation of what a merciful, amazing man he is. But God knew. And God sent the prophet, Nathan, to confront him because he had gotten away with it. But God didn't want his heart to be corrupt. Now, I want you to hear the prayer that David made after this all went down. After he got confronted and after he realized the error of his ways, he prayed to the Lord. Now, he's a king. He rules the world. What do you think he wants to protect first? Because clearly by his sin and by the, his cover-up, you knew what was important to him, his image. You knew that what was important to him was his status. That what was important to him is to maintain his kingdom. But that's not what he prays. I have to actually encourage you to read the whole psalm. Psalm 50, 51 is David's prayer of repentance for his sin. Listen to what he says. 51, just a, a part of the psalm, four verses. Cleanse me with the hyssop. That was one of the elements that the priest would use to purify people in the ceremonial cleansing. Cleanse me with the hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me, let me hear joy and gladness. Let, my, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now listen to this. Do not cast your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. You can take anything. Please don't take away your presence. I can't live without your presence, Lord. He didn't care about losing the kingdom or his riches. The thing that he pleaded with God was, God, do not cast away your presence from me. And I have a simple but life-changing challenge for you today. To seek the active presence of God in your life, which comes by a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Every day, seek the active presence of God. 
I don't know if you've ever tried to start a fire. It's not as easy as it seems. Um, we've been building fires the past three, four years in our backyard, and I've got to tell you, it, 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 I've had a few tries that didn't, didn't pan out. Just couldn't get it going. I was like, I got the fire, I got the fuel, I got the wood. What's wrong with me? <laughs> it's 2023. People used to do this with two sticks. It's, it's the hardest part of starting a fire is the beginning. It's the start. The wood is cold. There's no airflow. The positions are not right. Like You've got to get some of the elements right. You have to place the firewood in the right position. You have to create the condition. And the same is true for God's presence in our lives. In fact, the scripture compares it to a fire. The hardest part is the beginning because you don't, you're not quite sure. Your heart is cold. You've gone through things. And, and you, may, you, know, you may desire, but you don't know how to begin. And there's got to be a need for the condition, the position of your heart. I remember back in 1998, I was 16 years old, and I was desperate for God. I was overwhelmed at the sense that, that God wanted to do something in my life. He was calling me to do something, and, and, and it was going to take all of me. So I, I, I was just a high school kid. I was spending time with my friends in, in church youth, and and that's how I spent most of my time. And I helped in every team that I could. And, and just this sense of living for God just overtook me. And, and I started just plugging in at every position that I possibly could. I joined the audio team at our church. and I learned that. And then the drummer moved away. So I started playing the drums and learned that. And, and, then, uh, and then we needed a keyboard player, and I had taken some piano lessons, and so I did that. And then they put a mic in front of me, and then I started singing. And, and then uh, I, I became a worship leader all in the span of like a year. And, and I was just a 16-year-old kid with a deep sense of responsibility because every week I would see people come to church, and all I could sense is that they had gone through things and, and that they needed healing and that only the presence of God could do that. And that they needed to encounter God. And how could they encounter God if I didn't as a worship leader? How could they experience the presence of God if, if I didn't know the, the presence of God? And so, so I had this deep sense that I needed, I needed to seek the Lord. And so I, I, I connected with a friend and, and we committed. We were going to spend every Monday to Tuesday in church, overnight, praying and, and, and worshiping. And this guy was also in the worship team. And so every Monday to Tuesday, we would spend the night in church. And it was a school night, but I didn't sleep. I didn't care. And, and we would pull all-nighters. My dad was a pastor. I convinced him I had the keys to the church. And I would go in, lock ourselves in, and we would just spend the night worshiping and praying. It lasted for about six months, and we were in this move and and. And it was many nights of just walking around the auditorium, praying for the people that would be there the following week, and praying for friends, and praying for situations, and, and just worshiping God. And we wrote songs, and, and we praised God, and, 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 and there was moments of tear and devotion and complete surrender, moments that changed my life. 
And I could only do it in that season because if I were to do that today, I wouldn't be a good husband or a good dad. It would just affect me so much. But in that season, it worked and it changed my life. And I got to tell you, the things that happened because of the intense desire for the presence of God and nothing else, it has shaped my life. And I do they say this with humility to just to brag on the Lord. But my life has been an example. Everything that has worked in my life, it's been because of the presence of God. Everything that has been a blessing in my life, it's been a, because of the presence of God. And, and in, that, in that particular season, there were different things pulling me away. I grew up in a very promiscuous a culture and everybody was doing their own thing my brothers went off doing their own thing and, and, and partying and doing what they they you know got exposed to and some of my close friends with my same age group in church were trying out smoking and drinking and going out and and we were just church kids man and I grew up in that in that environment and so it was the first year that I went to a nightclub I went with my friend my brother's friends and and it was, it was I experienced that that day and it was also the last time I went to a nightclub because I realized this can't this doesn't compare you know, none of what I saw and experienced and got exposed to came close to the fullness and the fulfillment that I found in the presence of God. And I got to tell you today, like, that's what makes the difference. It's the presence of God in your life guiding you, leading you. And the following years, just life-changing decisions that I had to make came through. Uh, you know, one of them, obviously, was coming to the States to be at a, at a youth camp where I actually Alini here in Connecticut. And some of you don't know that, but I was 18 years old the first time I came to Connecticut. And I met Alini. She was serving in the youth, and we became friends. And then we became really good friends. And then we got married. Um, but then, you know, the call of God to come to the States happened, and it's a long story, but fast forward all these many years, I don't say this to brag on myself, like I said, but I say this to the honor and glory of God, but my life is better, and I say this objectively, my life is better than all those other people that I was sharing life with that, that walked away from the presence of God in that season of life. They put other things above the presence of God. And now they're dealing with the challenges of those decisions, those poor decisions, still to this day. Hang-ups, addictions, relationships that failed. And I don't take credit for any of it because I could have messed up my life terribly. But the presence of God has been the guiding thing in my life. And every time... I slipped away every time I felt cold, like the, the, the sense of separation in my heart. Every time I was about to make a poor decision, it was the presence of God that rescued me. And I got to tell you today, you might be in a situation where it, this, that's where you are. You already understand it and you want the presence of God. Or you might be in a situation now where you look at your life and, and it's a big mess. You're a hot mess and nobody knows it. But you've made choices and decisions that have put you in a situation where you're like, I don't know the way out. I don't know if I'll ever be able to experience that, J.D., and I'm telling you, yes, Jesus came to save. And salvation is in his presence. 
and you can experience his presence. You can experience the rescue of God. And the latter part of your life can be the redeeming part of your life where God rescues you, changes you, and transforms you. And when life gets busy and you get distracted, you can always know that you can come to the presence of God to be renewed and transformed and strengthened and receive him in your life. Because once your soul is burning for God, and once the fire has been lit up, even when you go through difficulties, because you know the presence of God, your heart can burn again like that. And some of you know that, because you've been there. His presence purifies you. His presence takes away the burdens of life. You know, it was never hard for me to follow Jesus. It was never hard. I know for some people it's difficulty. It's difficult. They do it with difficulty. You know why it was never hard? Because I love him. And I got to tell you, if, if, if your walk with God has been difficult, begin with the, the words of Jesus. If you love me, you will do what I command. Choose to love him. Nurture your love for God. And you will see your life with him just take a whole new way. And he's agreeing with me. Listen to the words of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you his Holy Spirit. So you want to experience the presence of God? Just love him daily. Make that decision. Do you receive it today? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.